0: You're listening to Inside You e with Michael Rosenbaum, a pretty unique guest. I'll say unique because this guy started out as a comedian, Rob. He was uh, very well known. He toured with Nirvana? Yeah, he would tour with them, but he would open with stand-up comedy for Nirvana, but he was like... You know, the police academy guy, he had that funny voice. Everybody knows him for a lot of those things, but now he's become a, an amazing director. He's worked on.
1: He did Call Me Lucky. Oh, yeah. God but, Bless America. But also, the he, directed, Dad. he
0: directed Jimmy Kimmel Live. He. Uh, the Chappelle Show. Uh, he directed comedy specials for Patton Oswald. And, and Mark his, Marin. Yeah. I mean, I, he, I he worked on one that he did with Mark And a very likable guy. He talks about his relationship with Robin Williams, which I remember. Um, you could tell, like he still carries a lot of emotion and weight on that. And he doesn't really love to talk about it, but, um, you know, Rob yeah, you wasn't... made him, I didn't make anybody, you
1: made him uncomfortable. You made him talk about it. He's uh,
0: he's a fascinating human being and just, I've really felt comfortable around him.
1: Didn't you? Didn't you feel yeah. cozy around him? He was, he was, even when I met him back before this show, he was a very nice guy.
0: Yeah. And before we get into Bobcat Gold, Goldthwaite, Gold Goldthwaite, can you say his name? Bobcat, Goldthwaite. Goldthwaite. I have a little bit of a lisp, so it's hard for me. Yeah. Also, Last Daughter of Krypton on Twitter. She did the theme song, Last Daughter of Krypton. Thank you. Here's a fan doing the rendition of Inside of You. Let's let's hear it.
1: It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rothenbaum. We're, we're rolling. We're rolling. It's a very, uh, it just slide into this. It's not. Um... Well, it's called Inside of You.
0: Oh. Maybe it should be called Slide Inside of You.
1: Inside of
0: You. <laughs> yeah, Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Oh, okay. Howard Stern just kind of made fun of it on, on the air. But anytime you know he mentions your name, it's like, right. I don't care whether he's. Did more people
1: search out sure. Inside of You? Yeah, well, then that's Yeah, good. they did. That episode, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was Macaulay Culkin, and he said some things that he hadn't talked about. And so oh, okay. so like, it got wind, and like, Robin was like, um, so on inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. And then Howard goes, inside of you. <laughs> why, why doesn't he just call it Michael Rosenbaum? Inside of you. You know, Robin, mean? it's a double entendre. Inside of you. And she's like, well, he was Lex Luthor. I liked him. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to speak very nicely <laughs> then, of me. It wasn't he, that he didn't like it. He was just making fun of the name.
1: Yeah, I don't, uh, my name's Bobcat, so I don't think like, I can really make fun of any names.
0: <laughs> well, that's not your real name, it's Robert Francis.
1: Robert Francis Goldthwaite. But it's, it's, often people will say, "Do you? did you change it to Goldthwaite, as if it makes everything easier. <laughs> well, you
0: just came up with that one Yeah, day. it's so
1: horrible, yeah, it's so, yeah. Um, Bob Scratch Goldfarb, I think, has been my favorite Bob mangling. Scratch Goldfarb? Yeah, I had this woman say, are you Bob Scratch Goldfarb? <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> Yes, I am. Like It was like, how do I get out of this conversation quickly? So I said, yes, I am. The people fuck up your name how often? Every time? All the time. So, I mean, that's why, like. Let it go. Well, the Bobcat thing has been around since I was 15 or 16. Right, because you were at a club with a buddy,
0: and, like, you were doing the Well, comedy. no, it's
1: worse than that, because we were talking Barry Crimmins, the guy I did, uh, my friend Barry, whose anniversary of him passing away is uh, the 28th, so he's coming up. How many years? Just one year. And he was a big comedian. Uh no, Barry was well known and, and loved amongst the, the comedy world and respected and kinda of started the scene or had a lot to do with the scene in Boston. But he, Barry really uh kind of mentored me and my friend and all this stuff. But Barry he Tom Kenny and I who he was the uh, SpongeBob. Spongebob. I've known him since I was six years old. What? Yeah. Was he yeah. always
0: doing fucked up voices yeah. and shit? You both were
1: no, but he no. I only had one other voice. I'm that's not that true, is it? Pretty much. You it. just it's do that one voice, thing. That yeah, 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 yeah. But Tommy always did voices. Like he, we'd come home from school, and then he would do you know recreate the whole day and nail all the impressions of all the other people. That's the one thing people don't know. He's an amazing mimic. He's great. He could have made a career as as doing impressions. But I think
0: I could have done that. Really? I, I mean, that's. Yeah, I mean, I could have been like a Buddy Hackett or whatever. Is that who did he get a lot of impressions? <laughs> no, who did no. all the impressions?
1: Uh, uh, Rich Little. Rich Little. That's who I met. Who shows up in the documentary on the uh, Orson Welles' last film that he made or tried to make. Right. Do you know this doc? No. Oh, the Jordorowski's Dune? No no, 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 no! This is uh, uh, Orson Welles and and uh, Rich Little's in the movie at one point in an Orson
0: Welles movie. Rich Little,
1: yeah, and doing what? But then he he leaves. He's like, "Hey, man, I gotta. I'm, <laughs> I'm opening up for for Buddy, Buddy Hackett." Buddy Hackett. <laughs> yeah, so, so he splits, and then uh, he's replaced with Bogdanovich. All right, so Tom Kenny, amazing mimic. Our whole lives, first grade, uh, crying nun drags me out of my own class. And I'm crying too, this fat little kid being dragged by this nun and the nuns <laughs> almost hyperventilating in tears like going, I can't take him anymore and leaves me in his class. And I was definitely a bad child? No, oh, I was just uh, you know, I was just a kid. I was a little squirrely, like all of us, I hope. I mean Yeah, you know. yeah, I'm
0: squirrely. So I'm still yeah. squirrely.
1: Yeah, so just yeah. So So Tom thought it was really cool I could make a grown nun cry. So he introduced himself at lunch, and and I loved that. Like even then, my ego, like I was like, man, I gotta help this guy. (laughs) Like, Like I saw him as like, man, this guy needs needs a friend at that
0: young of an age. You thought
1: that, yeah. My ego was always big and then full of insecurity, but I always had this idea. It was really strange. I remember like same age, six years old doing this tumbling routine this little fat kid comes out and i do like in front of the you keep whole Calling school. yourself a fat kid well i was but really, yeah and so so i'm like but i tumbled i came out and i did like headstands and a cartwheel and then you know and the whole school standing oh parents teachers everything and i just remember this feeling going yeah this can't stop I've gotta keep this going. <laughs> like like the drug. How like, old? Six. I was like Six. This is how it should be. People should just be going nuts for me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a terrible thing, isn't it? Yeah, then I was chasing because that. <laughs> that's
0: how I've been doing my whole life is chasing that. And when it doesn't happen, you just feel so little, so small. It's true. I remember I did I think I was also I probably was. Let's see. In 19, I was nine years old, and I did the moonwalk off stage to Weird Al oh. Yankovic Eat It. Oh, my and God. And the crowd went, went nuts. Uh, mad. And I was like, whoa. And then I knew I needed to get – I always fought for attention. Gotta,
1: yeah, it's this buzz, man. It's, it was it, something.
0: It was just like, wait a minute. I'm doing something. I'm doing something that no one else is doing. I want to
1: keep this going. So it's funny because I did a benefit recently, and, and Tom Kenny was on – with Eric Idle, and they were doing uh, that song "Sit on My Face" and "Sit on My, my Face"
0: my, and... and tell me that you love yeah. me. And then Hang they were... I sit in your face and tell <laughs> you yeah. I love you. Wouldn't, Wouldn't it be, be fine? fine if we were all 69? 69. So sit on my face, something like that. Right?
1: Yeah. They, well, they did it, and then they they broke it down and did an R&B version of it. And <laughs> How did that go? It was awesome. Sit the... on my face. But I'm like, but I'm like, my ego's like, like, I can't, I can't give it up. I can't let Tom Kenny. <laughs> so. <laughs> I go out and do a headstand. <laughs> I did the act from when I was six behind him. Are you serious? Oh, hundred percent. I was like, and I, were people dying? Yeah, they went nuts. They were like, "What the hell?" You know. So you still have that
0: feeling even right now? Like, if you went on stage, you have to be great. You have to. You want to, or are you? Do you get nervous? You get weirded out? No,
1: I think uh, some. Some. I mean, you don't want to bomb. I think that's a dangerous place. I have gotten to that where I'm like. You know, I like myself, so if the crowd likes me or not, it doesn't matter. Not like it doesn't matter, but I don't I guess I do want to do well, but there's times now it's a bad place to go on stage, you know. I mean, there was a part when I was so like beyond it, like I I I was very self-destructive, but I was also I had done sets that seemed kind of impossible you know going out in front of forty thousand people at a stadium for a benefit and then having an oak having a good set you're like after that you're like what else is there you know i definitely got to that place and then (laughs) then you add anger and rage so (laughs) i just kind of thought it was funny for a period to uh not really care you know this is like when i was opening for nirvana and stuff like i just kind of thought it'd be funny to it didn't like people would go oh it wasn't that hard it's like well it, you know i just kind of i would be like a heel some nights you know from wrestling and just just agitate the crowd and just think it was really funny really so sure. you you,
0: you, would, you were that comfortable Well, you were like I'm going to upset them more than I I don't want to make them Oh, yeah, that
1: was fun. Because it'd be like, well, they're going to throw M80s at me. And, you know, one night they successfully tossed a kid out of the pit and hit me with a kid. With a child? Yeah. Well, it was a guy. He's like, he looks at me. (laughs) He's terrified. Oh, my God. And he just runs off stage, like, on on his back. But, yeah, so, so I... I would just do things like some nights that I had about every third show would go well, but the first night and, and I really say this story and I couch it in like, if I, I don't, I don't even like saying it because, uh, but I would probably apologize, but I hope he just never heard it. But we were in Chicago and uh, I'm over for Nirvana and uh, I'm like uh, w- w- the tour bus pulls into town and there's p- Michael Jordan had retired from basketball and none of us know what because the signs are like we still love you Michael like it had to be explained to us like right. hey what is that you know and so uh, I go out in front of about 4,000 people and I'm just like uh, hey Chicago I feel bad for Michael Jordan but for 40 million dollars a year I'd shoot my own dad in the fucking head and <laughs> Oh in Chicago after he just retired. And the crowd's just it's not even boo. It's a what? It's like no. It's like "Ah!" like 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 (laughs) kill him, get him kind of thing. It was it was Really? It was screams. Were you did you expect that reaction? I didn't know what was gonna happen. The only person I remember actually Kurt laughed. He was like, I can't believe you said that as I walked by but in order to get me out of the venue they had to put like a towel over my head. And, and the van came around, and my feet never hit the ground. This just big guy just picked me up and put me in the back because there's more people backstage at that point at the stage door waiting to beat me up versus meet the band.
0: Did you always have to push the envelope, and at some point where you're like, I can't go any further?
1: Yeah, I feel like that definitely would stand up. You know, it got to the point where I'm going to go to jail. You know, because I was like <laughs> setting the Tonight Show on fire and things like yeah, that. Yeah, you set the chair, the guest chair on fire yeah. on
0: the, the Leno show. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I'd smash up... The and then Ars- he brought you back. Yeah, but I'd smash up the Arsenio Hall show way worse than Oh, we- yeah, because you just were pissed that they were canceling it. Well, I just thought it was funny. Like, he's got to do his last week of shows, even though he's canceled. So I spray-painted Paramount sucks on the backdrop. <laughs> and then just started throwing off everything. Smash- and they charged you money for that. No, Tonight Show charged me. And Arsenio's show actually had a case. I mean, I, I did damage a lot of stuff. I my- put my Doc Martens... I smashed this monitor... <laughs> you can see it on youtube and then i put my doc martens to the back of him so it was it was like an expensive were monitor. you really angry at these moments or were you just kind of putting it on i think people think i was angry at the situations but it was more i was it was my ego i i felt i would go on these shows i would do well and then as a comedian you're like going well where's mine you know so, so here I am on stage and I'm bashing everybody and it's popular, but the downside is, is one, I, I can't enjoy my life. I can't, you know, I, what, <laughs> you know, I'm miserable. Like I made a decision at one point and I'm going to stop celebrity bashing. I'm going to stop doing that kind of stuff because I just can't live with it anymore. I don't, even though the audience is like it, I'm going, I have to live with myself.
0: When did you stop that?
1: Uh, I don't know when that decision was, but it was you know maybe twenty years ago. And who was the who was the one guy you always went after? Well, I just go after everybody because it's like you're 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 you know you, I'm going after people's calling them a sellout, and then I'm doing Police Academy, you know. So <laughs> so that's I mean that that's the corner you paint yourself into, you know. So I, I just kind of. Uh, at that point, I just started telling stories, and then I directed the Kimmel Show for three years, yeah. and when I went back and did stand up, I was like I was like I thought I hated the you know doing the wacky morning shows, you know you know taint and tea bag in the morning, you know, and, and <laughs> you have to get up super early and do that stuff and it's brutal uh, and then I thought it was the clubs or the owners or the features or the audience, and I just realized i what I hated was this persona that i I was doing. So I kind of had a... I remember the night I was in Nashville, and like I jettisoned the character and went on stage, and I I told stories. And I did okay, but it was funny, because people were yelling, you know, do the voice, you know, during this. Did that piss you off? No, I mean, I got it. You know, I felt like... I felt I kind of owed it to him, but I, I, I needed... But you didn't it. give it to him? No, because I owed it to myself, because I, I was not... I, I had to get out of that. When was the last time you did that voice? Well, I do it for, like, uh, like children and sick people. <laughs> Before that, Rob's
0: incredibly sick right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: before He's that, got explosive <laughs> diarrhea as we speak. Before that, it was like when I was, you know, trying to uh, uh <laughs> hitting on women. <laughs> Wait a minute, you would go up to a woman with that voice? No, no, it'd be like, uh, oh, you know, you, oh, could you do the voice? Like, I uh, you know, and then do <laughs> because you gonna get late if you did. Well, I was hoping, you know, uh, <laughs> and sometimes it worked. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. I, That's
0: insane. I asked Henry Winkler, like, did you ever put on, a, like, the Fonz jacket that a girl ever ask you if you're, you're hooking up or yeah. give her the, the thumbs up? Yeah. Hey. Hey. He's like, well, Michael, it might have happened. I don't. I don't. <laughs> he didn't want to be he's this classy guy, <laughs> but he didn't want to go, you know. But, like,
1: so did you... Did you <laughs> Sit on it. Hmm. <laughs> sit <laughs> on it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Mundo. I forgot about the sit on it.
1: That was the catcher. Sit on it. So, um... All of these problems I can file under, uh, uh, as my ex-wife would say, my, my diamond shoes are too tight. That was a great expression <laughs> she'd say. Like, she, <laughs> like you know, you're complaining about stuff. Yeah, and yeah, she's like, yeah. oh, your diamond shoes are too tight.
0: Did anyone ever try to beat you up from talking about them?
1: Um yeah, people would get mad. Um Hey Bobcat, you fucking idiot. Fuck you. Like running into someone. No, it would be like because 'cause 'cause we're all wimps, you know, like Are you a tough guy? No. You're so, not? So it was like years ago I did a bit on um Stallone, you know, uh I love doing bits on Stallone. But yes. I was just talking about how he was, you know, he was a draft dodger and then he made a few billion dollars on this war he didn't go to in Rambo. So I said that on HBO, and I remember my daughter was born, and I was on the phone with you know Robin Williams is my my pal, and I'm yeah. on the phone with him, and I'm like, I don't know if I, should I cut this out, and he's like, Oh no no, it's fine, go ahead use, it. you know I've done I've done Stallone for years, you know, and he's that's fine. such a good Robin, so, of course, uh, but he it. I wouldn't do, it. <laughs> although he hated people doing impressions of him, he'd be like. I don't really go, ha-ha, ha-ha. <laughs> right? I go, no, you don't. You know, that's <laughs> you just don't something. That. <laughs> <laughs> you really... Because he didn't. But you know. I go, you laugh hard. But, uh, uh. so he says, keep it in the bit. My daughter's born. I'm on a payphone, you know, and uh, and then I go back to my daughter and stuff. But, but uh, I didn't cut it out, and then it aired, and then Stallone was calling everywhere I went. And this is back when, you know, no cell phones. So people hey, say, you doing? Huh? no, no, I get these messages. Like, the, I would go into, like, my manager's office. There's a pink slip. It said, Sylvester Stallone called. <laughs> we'll call you back. Are you serious? But I did listen to the uh, conversation, because my manager finally took the call. He's like, oh, I'll rip that no-talent. Talent. <laughs> he kept saying no-talent was his
0: thing. No-talent, piece of yeah, shit. Yeah, he was
1: going to rip my heart out. So that's not really a death threat. If someone that's had- pretty awesome awesome though yeah but then i run into him that is cool no i just <laughs> we just turned around and we're just square looking at each other and i go hey how you doing <laughs> you know and he, goes, and he walked away yeah, right. so yeah i mean that's the thing and then like i ran to his brother who i heard was upset frank yeah but but yeah. like and but i really meant this like I, I saw his brother and i was like man i love you so much in barfly which i really do and I didn't do it as like, well, I'm going to say something, not, you know, and then we just talked to got along with the guy, you know, right. so it was a lot of BS. People would be mad. Uh, these feuds, uh, they're lucrative. You know, people like it. I remember saying Axl Rose and one in a million, you know, because it had a lyric. A immigrants. Well, it's like immigrants. In fact, you come to this country and they can do as you please and spread disease. And I said, well, it should say warning. This album contains reactionary bullshit to <laughs> Cause controversy and sell a million more records and then, then an Rose says, Fuck Mr. Bobcat go play. Why is he talking about me? You know, and it's just it's just ridiculous. You know? I always wonder about that song. And
0: I always like he couldn't have been being racist, or is he speaking from what he thinks the less educated, ignorant people of the world are saying in that song? I mean, song. you would
1: hope, but I mean I don't I just I
0: never just... understood that in one in a million.
1: And I and, and and when you criticize someone's context, I defend freedom of speech and people should be able to say stuff, you know, and he may have been writing as a character, but it was misinterpreted as that. And, and I thought my job taking people to task, but, um, you know, again, you paint yourself in a corner. Um, and again, I wasn't even attacking him. I was actually really my point was to bring it out to people who were misinterpreting it and seeing it as an anthem that for intolerance. But, you know, do I have a beef? You know, I don't know. I remember, so I remember I was at the, I don't know if I should tell this story because come on, I, no, no, it's not about me, but it's just kind of something that that I always feel like someone who's gone. I can't, shouldn't say their stories, but it was Axel Rose and uh, Elton John did a duet on two pianos, and and um, what song? I, I think it's November Rain, right? That's the big piano oh, yeah, song, yeah. and um, and Kurt spit on the keyboard. thinking it's funny that Axel Have to deal with Kirk Cobain, that he'd have to, you know, it was actually Elton John's. (laughs) Kirk felt so bad. So Kirk Cobain spit uh, on the uh, wrong piano. Yeah, and he's like, I really like Elton John. I feel so bad. Oh my God. I feel so bad. I don't know
0: what to do. What was it like? I mean, people ask you this all the time, but it's like, and you you keep saying Kirk Cobain is obviously one of the biggest legends of all time. I mean, were you guys really tight? I mean, No, he asked no, you, no. Yes, you do no, He asked you. He loved your comedy. He wanted you to do his yeah. tour.
1: Well, I met him before they broke uh, at a college radio station in Arbor, and, and, and he interviewed me on this radio station, and, uh, and, I, and I remember they- Do they I, have a tape of that? I'm sure someone does, but I ran into the guy that whose radio show it normally was or something and he's like an agent now and it's just so weird. He was like, Yeah, I remember that. That was weird. And I was just like, Wow. So so it really just digressed to uh, you know, us bashing the Grateful Dead. That's the only thing I remember. But do you so- not like the Grateful Dead? I don't dislike them, but, but uh, you know, as, uh, as a kid who uh, was like punk rock, you know, that was the thing. You know, it's just like, I, and let's just say I've never gone trucking with a doodah man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Inside of You is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. This is an amazing platform. I use it on both podcasts. It has worked wonders for me. It's so amazing how easy it is to navigate. If you want to sell products, T-shirts, soap scents, whatever whatever it is, Ryan, you want to sell, this is the way to do it. Uh, you can see what your best seller is right there, analytics, uh, how much you're making this month, uh, what products are selling the best. It's really fantastic from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling
1: scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered.
0: Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers, with the Internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star.
1: Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way.
0: Because businesses that grow grow with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash inside all lowercase go to shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash inside inside of you is brought to you by netflix battle creek michigan 1963 Kellogg's and Post, sworn cereal rivals, race to create a pastry that will change the face of breakfast forever. A wildly imaginative tale of ambition, betrayal, and menacing milkmen, sweetened with artificial ingredients. Unfrosted stars Jerry Seinfeld in his directorial debut. It features a supporting cast of comedy great including Melissa McCarthy, Jim Gaffigan, Hugh Grant, Amy Schumer, Max Greenfield, Christian Slater, Sarah Cooper, Bill Burr and many more. Friday, May 3rd only on Netflix. <music>
1: You loved the Pixies, though, didn't you? Uh, yeah, but but here's the thing. It's Cobain like, loved them, right? Well, so as far as Kurt and my relationship, he, he liked my stand-up, gave me a copy of Bleach. I put it in. I remember saying in the rental car to my friend Tony V, I was like, these guys are really good. Rock sucks because you're never going to hear from them. And then probably a year later, they exploded, and I was opening for him. But we weren't BFFs. You know, that tour was a chance for he and I to spend time a lot of time together we did talk a lot and would be up all night so i got to know him was it deep i don't know i mean it was just talking ideas you know it it was it was just a friendship and then like different things he used to come to see my stand up and stuff and take people to come out so that was the friendship but was it like do we sounds like good friends i guess it is i mean but it's not like we barbecued or stuff and and stuff it's not like robin who who truly really was like my best friend, you know? It's like I didn't have anyone I talked to more. I didn't talk to anyone more than uh, than Robin. And I have a lot of really good friends, like Tom Kenny and my friend Tony and stuff. But it's, so that's the big difference, you know. I mean, arguably, like you
0: know, uh, Robin Williams is one of the funniest, one of the greatest actors, entertainers of
1: all time. Yeah, you know. And I grew up with that, and it's. I just had this really weird Zelig like thing where I, you know, showed up and were friends with some of these people but i didn't really think of it as i mean i know robin and i were th- friends for 30 some years and I, I i often i always you know i've kind of avoided everything in regards to robin you know and i don't begrudge people making documentaries or writing books and all that stuff i just you know it's just it's like a I, personal well it's because that's why we were friends you know that's why because we had these conversations that were private and and i and very little am I going to be able to say that's going to be educational or change anyone's love of the man sure about his Louis body dementia, which was a, a you know this disease he had that was misdiagnosed as Parkinson's, and Louis Body dementia is a very aggressive so Robin was taking care of himself you know, and people around him who love him were were seeing him but but you know we just didn't know he was battling this thing he kept it all secret. Yeah, he 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 thought it was Parkinson's, and he got really mad when I had another buddy who has Parkinson's reach out to him. I said, hey, is it okay? And he's <laughs> oh, like, no. because because his brain wasn't working. Like, he forgot that he and I had a conversation about this. So, so he was not processing reality. So those last moments of his life, in my mind, was just more bad information because he really was not processing reality correctly. And, you know, that's the thing about when someone takes their own life i think people need to uh kind people will say hey if you're ever feeling bad you need to reach out but that's not the truth he was reaching out uh, it, it, we just don't know you not and that's a kind thing you know hey don't you're never alone you can reach out that's yeah. true but you, the, the reality of when someone takes their own life is you just don't know what people are going well through. there's
0: nothing that infuriates me more than when someone says oh he was, this person was selfish or, yeah, or, and, or and I'm or like, because yeah. I deal with some depression. I deal with yeah. some things. I've had mental issues with my family and manic depressive, you know, and I, you know, and this show is a show that we talk about this, right. like, you know, Kristen Bell talked about her depression and anxiety, Jennifer Love, he well, didn't like herself. She was crying when someone says, Oh, they did like, you don't know what's going through someone's mind, how they think, what they're doing. You just cannot
1: fucking know the pain they're in. Not even the pain. I mean, the pain, of course, but also the fact that they just might be misinterpreting things cor- incorrectly. Right. Without this disease, I, I know Robin wouldn't have passed away. You know, and my frustration comes from did he have depression? Yeah. Did he win? Yes. He battled it for years. He won, you know? Well, oh, it's because he's drinking and dragging. He's like, no, he was sober. He, 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 spent most of his adult life sober. He he liked to perpetuate this kind of drug crazy thing. But the reality of it is that's not the truth because to me it's like people you know did he ever talk to you about suicide i'm like we're comedians we talked about it for 33 years you know sometimes <laughs> yeah. we talk about other stuff you know right, we're like right. congratulations you got an oscar <laughs> back uh, to suicide yeah i'd be mean, like <laughs> I mean, oh thank you i go how would you do it i don't know maybe a car you know so so <laughs> so he won that battle he won the the yeah. drugs and alcohol battle he won the depression battle this was another thing I'll ask of people in regards to anyone that they lose or, or, or stuff. Just try to practice a little kindness, you know. Uh, and and because because of what you said, we don't we don't know what was going on, and and uh, n- nobody w- wants to do that. But I have my own depression, so I go, oh well. I I I hope I would reach out when I feel bottomless. You know, I've spent many many years where that's how I would go to bed. I would just like think about killing myself sure. knowing that i wasn't going to but i found it relaxing you know i man, have you ever thought about killing yourself rob during this interview a couple during times. this interview a few times <laughs> yeah, this is, god this Goldthwaite's a a windbag <laughs> i've no I, i've
0: definitely i've definitely had those moments where i'm like i'm in pain no yeah. one can understand the pain i'm in right now i just don't fucking there's those moments and they're yeah ephemeral maybe maybe that's right wrong word i don't know but you know i just feel like thank god i just I get out of those quickly, and those people that can't get out of that mindset—it's yeah. like a different story. But
1: oh, so you get to a point where you say, "I know I'll be happy again," but I don't even want that. It's a, the ride is too exhausting. You've been there, sure.
0: Yeah, it's fuck. I mean, have you did have you dealt with that your whole life? Depression.
1: I did, but I don't think it was diagnosed, you know. But it's also—it's the depression. It's the self-loathing that's so monstrous, you know. Oh. I don't know if people in our business are a little more prone to self-loathing, you know hey look at me i don't know but but it's pretty big you know i i and i think we mask it a lot hey how are you hey, well, oh well, yeah
0: like i'm the, like I, everybody thinks i have my life is so together i show up to a party and like he's the life of the party god that rosenbaum he's so fun he comes in there and he does his rodney danger field and everybody's on the floor and then he goes home and wants to fucking die but i mean it's true like we put on yeah. a persona because you don't want to show up to a party going hey i just feel like showing want hate myself I'm like ah, yeah. let's not invite him again yeah you know so you do put on something and then I, I have to come home and sleep by myself and uh, yeah. you know and the, I have a sleep number bed so that's comfortable that's not bad yeah, yeah. yeah and
1: you have your puppets
0: yeah I have my puppets around <laughs> the house and my figures you know Kevin Yellen came in here and goes you need help and I said what do you mean he goes no well not a needy way he said I think you just I'm looking around here you you, you have you're not a hoarder no but, but this you, stuff
1: when you were a kid were you allowed to have toys I mean, I don't know how many toys I had. There's not a lot here, but I mean, as a kid, was it? This is just one room. there's uh, a lot. There's a lot in other rooms. Yeah, but that's, I think it's... uh, Cool? Yeah, because two reasons. One, it's like, well, the biggest reason I like it is because you clearly are a fan of things. I'm a fan. And I think so
0: many people in show business
1: aren't fans.
0: James Gunn looks down on me. Our, our mutual friend. <laughs> why? Well, he's just, <laughs> just like, you know, my buddy Dak Shepard. I've talked about it ad nauseum. <laughs> th- he constantly says, why do you need an autograph? Why do you need? Th-? I go, oh. because in my mind, I'm probably never going to meet them again. And they're my hero in some way. Or I love their work. And it's a little piece of, like, a, it's a memory. It's yeah. like a, a little moment I look at. And, I, and if I ever have kids, I go, hey, you, you no. have no idea who this fucking person is. Well,
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I just did that to... Uh. Roger Deltry, and and oh. and, I, and he had a book, and he would have signed it. and you didn't do it. I didn't do it because, I, I don't know, I just...
0: Have you ever kept anything from anyone you've met that you looked up to?
1: No, I don't have memorabilia See? like that, but I do have memorabilia of other people. Do you know what I'm saying? If there's a fire, Nora, my girlfriend, yeah, I'll wake her up, and <laughs> and, 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 and I'm sure... And I'll try to get the cats, but, but this shit's but, worth but, more. But the autographed Ed Wood eight by ten, is okay. It's the third thing I'm grabbing on the way out. By the way. both the actors? No, by Ed Wood. Oh, the Ed Wood. Oh, the original Ed Wood. Ed Wood. Yeah, Dana uh, uh, Gould gave it to me, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I, like I even in my exit route, like I put it above a door so I can grab it on the way out. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. So. You know, I've I've ran into people who are highly successful actors and directors and creators. And I start talking about movies, you know, and then the, and then they're going, yeah, know, that movie's kind of corny. And I'm like, oh, it crushes me. It's like, how can you not be fans anymore? Mm-hmm. I think that's a danger when you're not fans. Are you a big horror movie fan? Because I am. I like. Uh, I came really late to the game because I was very sensitive about it. It just would disturb me, gore and slash, and a bit of a snob. And then probably in my forties, I was like, "What have you been? You've been missing this whole yeah. world." And I and I went and I saw uh, Halloween in a theater. Uh, you know, the original years later, right. but I saw it and I was like, "Yeah, man, this is just, this is uh, this is amazing suspense and 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 so yeah." As an adult, I became. Uh, a fan.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a misconception too, because right away I said horror, and you said gore and slasher.
1: Well, I do like gore films too now, and I like them but, too. I'm just saying but, that a lot of the great ones
0: aren't even those, no, the, those whole, things. Yeah, like
1: Halloween is all suspense, you know. Well, that's kind of a bit of a slasher. There's right? yeah, but it's like compared to like. There's just moments where nothing's going on and you're you're terrified. You yeah, know?
0: but I mean like The Exorcist, The Omen, The yeah, Shining, yeah. The, yeah, the even It Follows or yeah, uh, you know certain well, movies.
1: Well, I've made seven movies as a director and writer. Yeah, and you know I my movies make hundreds of dollars. I mean people don't. <laughs> Hey, my buddy, or my DP for my movie, Bradley, Bradley Stone-Siber, Stone-Siber, did, yeah, your, did Yeah, uh
0: America, uh, God bless America, America.
1: And he did call me lucky. He's done a lot of this Which stuff. Which are for good me. movies? Thanks. What do you mean, hundreds of dollars? People don't see them. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't mind. I joke about it. It's just, it's just me. Like when I start talking about my canon of work, you know. But I did do a suspense, scary movie, Willow Creek. It's a Bigfoot movie, and I did it because I didn't know if I could scare people. And that was the whole experiment for me. Like often when I started a movie, it's like, can I do this? Can I, can I do a rom com with a tiny bit of bestiality in it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I go and make that movie. Can I do like God Bless America? Can I make this movie? And can you empathize with these characters? And I would think I was working out a lot about what I, how I saw the world. But I say that's a very violent movie about kindness, you know, and I was just truly trying to ask where are we going as a culture and uh, so many of the things in that movie actually ended up happening. So um, I wasn't really that upset. I kind of knew that would happen in a weird way. Right. The violence in
0: there is that what it takes for you to to make a movie though. Do, do you need to be go? Yeah. Just to think I don't know if I can make this. I've never done this kind of thing yeah. before. You have to be challenged. You don't want to repeat the same kind of idea.
1: Yeah. It's like oh, can I do this? You know, is this a genre style I haven't done? And then there's always a personal thing. That I never see until later on. Like my my daughter would be like, Yeah, that's you, dummy. I go, Oh, I <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> your that's, dad will say that? No, my daughter. That's your happened, daughter will that's say that. That's happened a few times. Yeah. She goes, You don't get this? Like I did <laughs> your own movie? Yeah, like I did a series called Misfits and Monsters and there's an episode with uh uh our buddy Seth Green and I and, love and, Seth, and, Green. And, and, and he's he's the voice of this beloved animated bear bubba the bear you know hey hey, hey, i'm bubba the bear and bear and bubba the bear shows up at his front door and he's like I- i'm gonna fucking kill you i'm gonna send you back to hell what, 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 why you got me stuttering that's something funny for kids to laugh at so he's the voice of bubba the bear and bubba's trying to kill him and it's like cape fear meets roger rabbit and um i always thought i was doing that thinking it was based on tom kenny who is SpongeBob and all these things? And then, and then it was my daughter. Who goes, no, Dad, this is about you. you. You know, you can't get away from that persona you created, <laughs> and it was killing you. And I was like, How uh, old is she? Well, oh, now, she, now she's thirty-one. But yeah, yeah. Wow. So yeah, I was like, Oh, I didn't get that. And what was the documentary? Did you see this documentary? Call Me Lucky? Call Me Lucky. I haven't it's, seen it yet. It's about my friend Barry Crimmins, who was a political satirist. My favorite Barry joke is uh, him getting heckled and the guy, because he's you know, very progressive politically, and someone's like, if you don't love this country, why don't you get out of it? And he's like, because I don't want to be victimized by its foreign policies. <laughs> so he's <a> really <laughs> sharp great. guy. That's yeah, great. Super sharp guy. Known him since I was a kid. Like, I was... 15 I think when we met Tom Kenny and I answered this ad they're looking for comedians and that's where I became Bobcat because people called him Bearcat and Tom Kenny and I being snarky little pricks were like oh that's funny they call me Bobcat and he's like yeah they call Tom me Cat. Tomcat yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but then like 35 years later he's and Barry he's Tom and I'm Bobcat 15 but Barry didn't even know it until recently he was so pissed furious at me you snide little fucker like he wanted to kill me but um so so Barry, as an adult, uh, kind of starts this comedy scene or, or a big part of it in Boston, which you got, like, Kevin Meany and Paula Ponstone, myself and Steve Sweeney and Lenny Clark, and I'm sure I'm forgetting people, Dennis Leary, Stephen Wright, did I say Stephen Wright? All these people, we...
0: I work for Stephen Wright. He's an interesting guy. He's the huh? best. I love Stephen. Joey and E. Raffiner were known, what dual known as Steelers Wheel when they recorded this bubblegum pop favorite.
1: Whatever that fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. reservoir dog. Well, he, he's. Stephen won an Oscar for his short, and he went up and he's like, I'm really glad I cut the other 45 minutes out. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's, that's great. so I haven't seen Stephen a lot. Lately, that's my thing. I've been really connecting with old friends on purpose. Why? Uh, just because you just talk a lot of shit. Hey, let's get together. Boy, we had fun. And now I actually do it. Like I, just, I buy a ticket. I fly across the country. Doesn't that
0: take a lot of your time?
1: It doesn't matter I'm, because it's meaningful
0: you and it's it. also
1: just like, oh do you remember that day you you worked on that script all day or do you remember that time you surprised Tony on his 65th birthday? you know which, day, which am I going to remember? you know Yeah so my friend Jack is performing with a band Saturday. I'm going to fly up to Sacramento for the night. I don't care anymore. I just you just do it. You make the time. You just do it, yeah. I mean that's it. That's the whole deal. When someone passes away, you show up. That's the other thing too. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. You know, I'm becoming like the fixer, the cleaner, in, in Pulp Fiction, I get, I show up, my friend passes away, and I walk in like, all right, get off the phone. No one needs to talk to the press. Order half the amount of food you just said you're going to get, and get some booze here for the grown ups. Really? This is how we do. You it. Step yeah, step up. Yeah, I'm not. mm, um, You're not a crier. You're not that emotional, or you do it by yourself. I guess I do that kind of stuff by myself. But 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 I had people that stepped up for me when I lost people. So uh, it's just what you do. Who had to step up for you? Well, like when when my dad died, Barry just showed up. I hadn't even told him. I don't even know how he knew it. He just shows up in Syracuse at the funeral, and he here's this this guy, this renowned political satirist, and he didn't like crotch humor or fart humor all that kind of stuff you did right yeah yeah Yeah, of course course, and so and so he's telling me trying to steer me away from that for 40 years and then he shows up at my dad's funeral with an electronic fart machine in his pocket (laughs) you know yeah so that's that's what you do so barry uh as a political satirist he's having success somewhat as a guy running a club and then one night he discloses on stage uh, uh, talking about his rape when he was four. This is "Call Me Lucky." Yeah, "Call Me Lucky," and so that just sent him on this thing, like looking for other survivors. Who is he? What's he going to do? He, Barry was always angry my whole life. Just, just one of the more angrier people. So Barry goes and while well, he's looking for other survivors, he, this is the early days of AOL. He finds all this child pornography. He goes to the feds; they don't do anything. Goes to the police; they don't do anything. Then he goes to AOL no one was listening to him because it was a new thing too and so he posed his two kids got all this crime evidence that's what child pornography is handed over the feds and then a whole bunch of arrests were made but he ended up he ended up on the floor of the senate taking on aol in a real frank capra kind of moment and then other things happened. but you see at at the end of barry's life was not the end of his life but the next chapter of his life he he shifted that rage that was at uh, at where he's angry at everybody, and then he starts using it like a laser beam on targets and things and people. But meanwhile, too, I I don't want to—he's also still very funny and very silly. Yeah, and where can we find this? I think at this point, I don't know, I think it's like on iTunes only. It was on Netflix for a while, but then they pull stuff off.
0: What's the project you're most proud of that you've worked on that you're like? I think
1: it's like Call Me Lucky and I think um, World's Greatest Dad, the movie I did with Robin. I I like those movies. I like them all for different reasons, but those are the two where I felt... You had the most fun? No, it was the two where I think I kind of came closest to what I was trying to do. I've done smaller movies where I have a lot of fun. You know, when you're doing a movie about childhood rape... (laughs) It's a hard m- movie, and Barry go, "Oh, I'm sorry, it was hard for you, because <laughs> cause, cause there's a scene." I go, "I didn't want to do reenactments doing a Q and A," and Barry goes, "You didn't want to do reenactments." <laughs> so it was really dark, but I found we did laugh a lot, but but um because we were listening to other survivors' stories and uh, and engaging with these people, so it was about as heavy as it was gonna be for him is
0: it sometimes hard for you to deal with such heavy stuff
1: yeah and especially if you're connected with the person you know the hardest direction i've ever given in my life was barry on camera disclosed the events and i was like it's like 10 o'clock in the morning i went to the refrigerator and i opened up a beer for him and he drinks a beer and then i came and i go i think we're both making this movie for the same reason i need you to not tell the story i need you to think about what happened and tell me those events how hard is that for you to say that was hard and then he did it and that's what's in the movie but that's the hardest bit of direction i think i've ever
0: to say hey listen there's a difference between hey tell us what happened
1: yeah or relive it relive it and that's what's in the movie yeah Um, it's
0: amazing when you stop for a second and you actually think of what you're talking about sometimes yeah i was just the other day somebody asked me about Something just not even that important, but I thought of my brother saying it to me, and and it just I teared up. Yeah, and I just was like, oh my, because I visualized my brother looking at me with such like, I don't know, this kind face, this brother that I've you know, he's, I love him. He's I you know, and he just but that that visual changed me. It was it was an emotional moment. So it's amazing when you do think about what you're talking about. It has if it's impactful how it could really just
1: yeah i mean maybe that's a selfish thing me asking him to go to those depths but i think because of my friendship and relationship i could ask him that and not only that but if he does it it is helping other well people. that's the thing when we made the movie like i was making the movie because i knew barry's story was amazing i love my friend and i wanted the world to know him the byproduct, which I didn't expect, was the amount of people. Like at screening, so many people come up and disclose for the first time about their own abuse, and they're just crying and hugging you. And it was. Does that make you uncomfortable, or do you like that? No, I it was very uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> because it's got to be overwhelming when it's just like okay. I... Yeah. So the 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 movie now being done, I'm doing it as a narrative film, which I actually originally was going to do. I was going to do it with Robin as a narrative movie. Robin says you're never going to make that movie we're all getting old do it as a doc I go I don't have any money he's like here's some money go start the movie so that's how the movie got made Wow. so Robin encouraged me to go make this movie so then we make the movie and then that was I got divorced at the beginning of the year and then uh, Robin killed himself and then I'm editing a baby rape documentary 10 hours a day and then my girlfriend and I split up Decorating a Christmas tree. What happened there? <laughs> Out of all the things you just said, I want to know about the Christmas
0: tree. Well, uh, and yeah, that, but. How do you break up while decorating a Christmas tree?
1: I understand what happened. I think I, I, I uh, and she's a, a great person. Uh, and <laughs> she, she looked down in that tree and, and I'm, I'm assuming she realized that there was never going to be kids at the bottom of the tree. I think that's what fueled that. Was it a fight? No, no. It was really harsh. Was, I could just uh, hear like Bing Crosby and then I can't do this. And I do love her. She's a great person, but I was like what happened was uh <laughs> So, I uh, so I had this half decorated tree and then one morning I was like fuck you tree, I'm better than you. <laughs> I put on some Peggy Lee and I put on some uh, 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 Joy Division. Oh yeah! (laughs) And then I and I finished that tree. Love, love (laughs) will tear us apart. Yeah, of of course. And then (laughs) and I finished the tree. I was like, I I I did it. I did it. Do you get over shit quickly? No, I mean that's why. Like I said to my friend, who just this other fellow who who I'd worked with and I did know. And it was a really good guy, Kevin Barnett. He passed away. But I went to his his two closest friends, Josh and Jermaine, and I was like, you know, when this happens, I, you kind of feel like you're not allowed to live your life because you're forgetting this person because these guys are so close to him. Like, if I laugh, I feel like I'm betraying Robin. If I continue my life, I feel like I'm betraying him. But I'm not. He would want me to. Of course. And it's hard... Uh, it's easier if it's not someone who takes their own life, but it, when someone dies, it's an arm and that's missing and that and it is in a way, but you do you will experience joy again. That's that's
0: I think that comes from experience and that comes from just living and hitting rock bottom. And somehow, I, so many and
1: times, yeah, so many times that you're like going. I mean, you, what's the alternative when someone dies? You think, well, I'm going to do this. You know, we're going to have a memorial and that'll help, and it won't, or it does for some in some ways, but it doesn't. Or we're gonna, I'm going to go on a trip and go to a beach and that doesn't do it. It's I think time is the thing. You know, do you um, do you ugly cry? Do you go home by
0: yourself and cry like no one's ever seen a person cry?
1: No, you know, it's funny. I well up uh, at a commercial, but then I, I those big blowout cries, it's been a long time. Since What's I've the last had time you
0: had one of those?
1: I think it was when Robin passed away, but it was, it was weird because it didn't come at all when people expected it to.
0: What about success? I was on a plane. Wait, you were on a plane when you found out? You had wait. no, no, no.
1: I'd found out and everything, but the big ugly cry came when I was on a plane. Robin had the worst taste in music. He really just like I all apologies to anybody. I probably
0: said. love it. I I bet it's like cheesy music.
1: No, but it's just like he, just anything. Like he didn't really. He wasn't he, for some reason that wasn't something he was passionate about. Strange. So in. World's Greatest Dad, the song "Under Pressure" is used in a couple ways. It's used comedically, and then it's used at the end of the film. And he loved it, and he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that my song." Like he wanted that song when people play when he walked onto a talk show. He wanted Under that. Pressure. He wanted that, but no way people are going to play Rock and Robin or you know, right. <laughs> Some bullshit from Aladdin <laughs> or something. So, and I just put on my headset and and that song came on and then I just lost my mind. I just out of plan. I just like. Were people was someone next to you? They no, see I just, I don't know what they were making. I just buried my face in the the window and I and just lost sobbed it. and sobbed. Yeah. Yeah, but it didn't come when I imagined it was going to, and that sucker punched me because I just well, I'll just put on my headset. <laughs> And then I actually thought at one point I would possibly make a a movie about our relationship, but not about he and I, about like two painters. One's super successful and one's painting uh, Disney characters on a kid's bedroom walls for rich people. So it was going to be him and I. And I went back and I listened to our voice messages. And I, I thought, I could, well, I'll just do this and then I'll, then I'll start writing. <laughs> and then uh, so that destroyed me. Like I had about 45 pages of that script. And then I listened to those messages. And maybe someday I'll go back to it, but probably not real soon. I like that idea, though. Yeah, I think it's good. You know, Well, I'm making Call Me Lucky into a narrative, like I was saying with Judd Apatow. And I'm, I'm you know, and so that's what the plan. Yeah. But part of it was trying to help barry and helen out to even make this movie deal so i'm visiting barry and he's he's just, he's close to death and he drags me into the kitchen and he can't walk very well and he's like i, I need to talk to you and i was like uh, and I, go, and I think he's gonna tell me he loves me or or take care of helen or where the money's buried i don't know what this is like <laughs> and he's like i want mark ruffalo to play me in the movie <laughs> And I was like, Barry, I don't want to talk about the movie right now. I, I do. I want Mark Ruffalo to play. And I was like, I got, I, got, I want Chris Pine to play me. And he's like, who's Chris Pine? I go, how do you know Mark Ruffalo? And he's, because Barry, you know, he did watch movies. We watched the old movies. I go, how do you know Mark Ruffalo? He goes, oh, uh, I've seen him speak at anti-fracking demonstrations. I really like the guy.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing.
1: Um, Somebody said, you know, they'll say, boy, tragedy follows you a lot. But the reality of it is, is, is n- that's not the case. I've I'm, I'm just been fortunate enough to connect and have friendships with a lot of people.
0: Speaking of friendships, uh, you're good friends with my also one of my best friends, James Gunn. Yeah. Now, you kind of lost your marbles a little bit um, when they fired him from uh, Disney
1: yeah i don't know yeah i mean i just made it clear you know you were
0: a lot of people were unhappy everyone was unhappy
1: yeah but i just made a statement which is kind of funny that you you know is uh you know where i was saying that what was the statement i'll be paraphrasing myself but i said hey disney you know you might want to remove my voice from this upcoming attraction (laughs) seeing that i too have said a lot of things in the past that i regret and uh, and you made and, Song of the South. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I ended a little bit on that because I said, I said, um, and, you know, cl- you know, clearly you're taking your lead from fringe right wing radical groups. They're making decisions for you. Uh, so I've also said offensive things about the president. And so, you, you know, you might want to pull my voice off of this thing. And, did they? uh, and I also said, uh, no, they didn't. I also said, uh, cause James Gunn's voice was on. I go, Hey, you might want to check James Gunn's, uh, not sorry. James, James Woods was also in this voiceover thing that I did. And I said, you might want to check James Woods tweets. He's writing Some really wacky stuff too. Uh, PS, are you guys still making money off of powder asking for a friend? <laughs> uh, <laughs> It, it blew up, you know. I I just did it because I, you know, I love James, and I just he regrets saying those things. He's saying them to be outrageous. Yeah, some it, was, of, it was some provocateur.
0: Of them, it was ten years ago, and he was
1: responding, and it was it wasn't. That's not the person he is. Not at all. Uh, he you know, he had apologized a few times. He, they and were, they knew about it before, right? Yeah. Look, I, like I said, I, we opened this with me telling that that. The Michael Jordan story. So I've said things I regret. And I also said, oh, by the way, I stand with survivors. Are you making money off of powder? But, you know, I just, what I didn't expect was the reaction. Like that became, that itself became a news story. But, well, you,
0: such just it's not a stupid question. It's important because I always want to know because I, I see your whole persona and how you've come. Full circle from like you know, doing a lot of angry comedy and going after people to saying, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm right. not doing the voice unless it gets me late or I'm doing it for whatever. <laughs> and all these, you know, these these movies that push you or provocative or storytelling and something, you know, things that you don't look at as, oh, this will be a commercial success, but more, oh, yeah. more things that interest you.
1: But I look back did you have a good childhood? I don't think so, but but what makes me laugh is everything I do, I'm kind of doing it on a selfish basis trying to make this movie, trying to do this, trying to do that. If it connects with people, that's awesome, and I'm hoping it does. But to reinvent myself as a director or a storyteller and make money, that's not what I'm doing. I mean, for the first, like, movies I made, I was still on the road all the time doing stand-up so I could pay my bills so I could keep making movies. I made a living so I could make movies. I didn't make my living off of making movies. So it's only recently now I'm starting to get paid, which is crazy. But... Um, uh. I forgot where I was going with that. Sorry. Well, I was talking about your childhood and I was talking about like, oh, I was talking about your your movies oh, that oh, you made now. that Oh, are this just... is what I was thinking about. And, and what people will say, like I come and stay stand up for James or I go to a woman, the woman's march or I go to uh, anti-Trump rallies and people will, on, I'm only on Instagram, not any other social media, but they'll say, uh, you just lost a follower. And it's like, ah. Uh, I used to play arenas. I've lost millions of followers. <laughs> You're really late to that. <laughs> so so uh, I don't know who has a, a lovely childhood. I had a mother that told me I could do anything, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. I had a dad who was bananas, and some of that was inspired lunacy that was kind of genius, and then other times it was frightening, you know? So... Uh when you grow up with a lot of drinking, it's partially our house was a little bit like the in the movie Mask, you know, that the yard uh the sheriff's boyfriend, I think it's Sam Elliott, all the yeah. all the Harleys yeah, on the front yard. So my house was that house. So there's keg parties and my brother who is a biker, there was always motorcycle clubs at the house so it's kind of chaotic and then i go to tom kenny's house where his parents are college educated and his father's a uh, successful and don't you
0: think a lot of your shit like you know so being on, the, the
1: insanity but the
0: love at the same time from your mom is like this dichotomy of like you that you kind of brought that into your who you i mean look you're a product of your own environment right, right. it's like do you think a lot of that uh, angry
1: stuff and a lot of that you know stems from your surroundings when you're young I don't know where the anger came from because Tom Kenny and I couldn't figure this out. You know, we we're in high school. We're getting three square meals. Our life's pretty good. And Did we you get in fights? No. No, but we're so angry. We're these snotty guys <laughs> who are just furious and sarcastic and cutting. Like Barry, who was one of the most sarcastic people. Not sarcastic. Yeah, I don't know. But cutting, like he was really. Cynical. Uh, he no, because he hates the word cynical. Because it, cynic, cynicism is is hopelessness, you know. But so he he would say, "Hey, I'm You may not like what I'm saying, but I'm still swing. You know, coming up to bat. Uh. You know, cynicism is when you no longer show up. To the point that Tom Kenny and I were so kind of vicious and so petty and funny when we were kids. That even Barry was a little afraid of us. Like were you we just
0: judgmental? Yes, like, yes, everybody making fun of everybody. Yeah, everybody. Look at this fucking guy. Yeah, everything. Look at this girl.
1: But why were... Who? Why? You know? It, mean, we, but you never looked at yourselves. Yeah. That's it, the same thing. It, people. It's always wearing, that case, but right? But we weren't... <laughs> we were the... <laughs> it's just weird. You know, and here's Tom Kenny in a, a trench coat with a dickie. And, you know, and I'm I'm wearing whatever I'm wearing. You know, combat boots. And, you know, we're just like idiots. So why are we... <laughs> What are you looking at? Well, you, were you... <laughs> you, you look like a moron.
0: <laughs> were you guys clowns in school? Like, or did you get like the funniest guy or?
1: Yeah, we were class clowns and all that stuff. But by the time I was sixteen, I was just like so into doing stand-up that being popular in school kind of didn't even matter. And I was just like, well, I'm yeah. just going to do this. Well, when did the? When... I got on Letterman. When I was twenty,
0: so it's pretty 20 crazy. twenty years old. You got on Letterman. Yeah, well, yeah. Who's every comedian's hero?
1: I like Letterman. I like this show. Like when it first started it was really abstract how crazy it would be. You know, I mean it was just so strange. It was really abstract. It was very Dada. Do you remember it be like Yeah,
0: my uncle was on it many years ago. He was my uncle was Warren Eckstein. He's a pet therapist, psychologist, <laughs> exactly. trains animals. He brought a pig on Letterman. Uh, you know, and they yeah. used to ro- uh, drive around in Letterman's duster. And the woman that would, like,
1: dress up parrots. and yeah but, but, yeah. but Brother Theodore was on. Andy Kaufman was on. They would just, like, do— It was just really offbeat. It was just, like— Really weird, because they would just, like— They would—the bumpers going to commercials would show the— One night, I remember, they just had the different forms of welding. Acetylene torch. And then they had a guy <laughs> welding. And they would just— Yeah, I mean, that's really abstract. So right. I like that. Um, did he love you the first time you went on there? No, I you know they had me back right away. It, it was just like I'm 20 years old. They don't go, hey, this guy's 20 years old. They're like, this is one of the weirdest acts we've ever seen. Do you remember <laughs> what you said? No, I mean, anything. I, well, I was just so far in the character, I'm pretty inaudible. It's just all stuttering and screaming. So that where did that come from? I mean, and I'm, I'm sure like, t- and I think I'm like doing, you know, uh, I don't know if then, but you know, the big one was would be like. uh my wife's so fat, you know, <laughs> how fat is she? I, go, I don't have a wife. And I'd start crying and <laughs> read a Dear John letter that I got. And then i go back to my ex and so just, just, it was just all tears and no. rage. Um, it wasn't like I looked at somebody and said, hey, I'm going to ape that guy's persona. It was, I was just much more comfortable being anyone but me on stage. So it would be... It was actually a guy, the first time I did it, it, was a guy who had seen Bigfoot and he was trembling and terrified. Yeah, it just kind of grew from there. But I'm not, like I say, like, I remember when, when I was on Letterman, I was so terrified. I was sick, you know, trying to do well. So nervous. Did you,
0: like, throw up before? You ever shit?
1: Uh, he, th- yeah. I, I always take a throw lot of before is I go up, uh, I throw up. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it was like. I had really gotten myself so sick physically just going. I'm gonna out pass out in front of millions of people. <laughs>
0: I am fucked. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. This is. I'm gonna have a heart attack. But
1: then I go then like when my buddy Tony ends up getting on, on Conan, I I don't go. Hey, you don't worry about that. I just you know I send him a thing of flowers saying, don't fuck this up. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> Did you audition for uh, police academy?
1: No, they saw me do this show at the comedy store with Whoopi, believe it or not, that many years ago. And um, and I go out and do the show, and uh, you know, there's Pryor in the audience. It was just like crazy, yeah, because Whoopi had all this heat. So there's this this room, and the producer was there, and they asked me to be in it, yeah i think if i had auditioned for it i wouldn't have gotten it because one i would have been nervous and two they would say (laughs) i think they needed to hear people laughing at what i was doing you know like the first screening i saw of police academy 2 i didn't get one laugh because the crowd was just like what the fuck is this guy doing and they're laughing at the rest of the movie and then uh my manager at the time was like uh Hey man, you gotta go and come to Westwood and see the movie because it was that it, I didn't get a laugh when I saw this with the this like the and friends and family like people were like were oh. you like did you feel like shit yeah I felt like I was like horrible I was so depressed so then I went to Westwood and it was inverted like I was getting laughs and and Michael Winslow was getting laughs but the rest of the movie wasn't getting. any <laughs> really <laughs> because you guys were characters you were fun to watch i don't know but that you never know. Uh, yeah i mean that sounds very egotistical but that is what happened so um it was that's how it went
0: yeah i've had those moments where i go in there and like my you know i was telling this story dax i was watching i did this movie and dax my buddy dax texted me in the theater and said this movie's so bad i can't believe i'm not in it
1: yeah yeah that's i'm like it. god i know <laughs> fuck
0: what do i do man yeah. well you can't do anything we do a lot of bad movies
1: yeah, but, I mean, it's like, you know, your goal is to work. I mean, there are people that, that turn down stuff, but then they they don't pay the bills, you know? I was on the way to uh, a set one day. I remember out, being on the in a van on the set, being driven to do a scene in Police Academy, and I didn't know where to stand. I didn't know anything. And then I was in a van recently. I was directing something, and the, the teamster gets on the radio and goes, yeah, I'll be right there. I got to drive some guy to the set. And my ego would be like when I was an actor, uh, I'm not some guy, you know what I mean? I'm a success story. But at, <laughs> a success story. <laughs> but as a director, I was like, I liked it. I was like, oh, man, I'm just another guy on the bus. It was really, it made me so really. So you like that. You don't, you don't really miss acting? No. But, you know, now that I'm behind the camera, I'm completely, my idea of acting is Completely changed. I think it's so much harder than I'd given it credit for. You know, I was just doing this persona and that's kind of easy. I lock in and do it, but but acting is so hard. I really, I love actors now.
0: You have more of so much more of a respect for like, oh the my whole God, thing it's because just, they were just these yeah.
1: people in the way of me getting laughs. Yeah, right? <laughs> they're listening, they're focused,
0: and you're just going, <laughs> yeah, hey, me. Yeah, it's yeah. my turn. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So, uh, it's completely changed. You know when they, it doesn't look like they're working at all. You know that's that's so awesome when you get that in a in a in a scene. I's so funny when I watch TV and, and movies, and if they're not doing a good job, and I'm not trying. Oh, I'm so talented, but I get I escape. You know I'm out. You know that's what
0: happens. I'm out, and it's I like could
1: be out. Yeah. yeah, and it's because if they're not, it's just because we we love movies and TV, and we also been in it. We know it. You know. My daughter and her, her boyfriend is a, a camera AC, and he's sitting there going, "You're soft." He's telling them to the pull the focus. focus. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> and I'm sitting there going, "Cut!" You know, one day, <laughs> back when I was directing Kimmel, I was exhausted. I'm watching Saturday Night Live, and I'm exhausted. And I'm there on the couch with my daughter, and it's during the music thing, and I and I just go, and I'm not an ironic, not as a joke. I just go, camera three like like the shot was too long oh I was, my I god calling camera, camera three yeah i got camera Jesus. three how about go, i go to bed <laughs> you know? did you
0: feel like you had like a
1: tough time
0: uh in terms of making that transition this persona and the squeaky guys the the voice that right. dude well, And now i'm gonna direct things that
1: will right. matter well but so what happened was i directed shakes the clown and i didn't get any directing jobs for you know another ten years. Between doing a talking horse movie and then an alcoholic clown movie that was like, this is how I see the world. And I'm not in the character in that movie. People think it's just this alcoholic clown movie that put me in comedy jail and directing jail and I didn't get any work probably for another 10 years and I'm doing everything trying to direct I'm trying to direct commercials I'm trying to direct rock videos I'm no one's hiring me at all so what was the next thing it was Kimmel calling me up and saying hey you want to work on the man show as a director and and I was like yeah Yeah. "Yeah." so I started directing and that was like like being an ER doctor you know sometimes there would be uh, a filmed commercial, and then uh, you know, found comedy man on the street, and then uh, uh, you know, just all these different genres. And I was directing them, and sometimes I'd be the only director. There was other directors, but sometimes there really was. I would have four editing bays going. And it was like me putting in that that ten thousand hours they talk about, and you know, Kimball believed in me when my name really was a punchline. So he he asked me to direct his TV show, and I go in and I see this live TV show, and and he goes, "What do you think?" And I was like, "I think it'd be like landing a plane in Chinese. I don't know how to do it." And uh, but I saw it, and I realized that there was places where you could have cut to and that, and I knew that I. Because of my friendship, I could have made it a little funnier. So I said, I think I could make it funnier. So, uh, you know, hats off that crew at Kimmel taught me how to do it, the cameraman. And, and from the, there on, he's... you
0: started to get more work and more work. You were able to do things on you know that you wanted to do.
1: Yeah, well, then I, during Kimmel, I I'd, I'd written this movie. It was called Stay. And uh, just because I had so many people turn down everything I wrote that I – and I was writing them for the wrong reasons. I was writing them for me to be in a movie. I was writing them because I thought I'd get made. I was writing them for other people, vehicles and stuff. And then I just I said, I don't know if I can write a script and hand it to you and you can understand it. Because the reactions were so negative about everything I wrote. So I, so I wrote this movie that wasn't for me to be in. And uh, my manager at the time read it and had a meeting with his whole staff the next day. And they're going, this is a really w- well-written script, but we're frightened of your mental health. We don't want to send this out to people. <laughs> oh, my God. And I was like, and I didn't think it was funny. I was devastated. And uh, I, I dropped that manager the next day because I said, right or wrong, this is what I want to be doing. So that just sat there for a year. I'm directing Kimmel. My friend uh she reads the script. She says, This is a good script. We should make it and we just shot it for twenty grand with a crew from Craigslist and it got <laughs> and it got into Sundance. And uh that kinda is how things started changing. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. The crew from Craigslist and just like we were filming one scene in this garage and it's a pivotal scene. And I said to the crew, I was like, Hey, you know, this is a scene kind of a really heavy scene for the actors so we have to be extra quiet and just be aware of that and uh the cinematographer ian takahashi says um you don't have a permit again (laughs) i go i don't know whose fucking house this is (laughs) we had broken in i broke the lock off the door we shot a scene. It was a house that was for sale and it was across the Are street. Are you kidding? No, no. So we filmed the scene in a home. And, and no one ever said anything? You got your shit out of it there? Was even be- it was even better than that because we're wrapping all the shit out and we're, we go, we're laughing that we pulled it off and then a moving van pulls up for that house. It was so great. Oh my God,
0: that's that's right out of a movie.
1: Yeah, but we did a lot of that kind of stuff. Even on World's Greatest Dad, there's a scene where I realized that Robin's character gets over his son's death too soon, and his son's a pervert. And so there's a scene where Robin's looking at a bunch of porn on uh, porn rack in uh, at a newsstand, and it reminds him of his son. And he starts sobbing. So uh, I called Chris, uh, who's from Neuronica's. So I was like, "Hey, we're in Seattle, and I'm making a movie. Would you be the newsstand guy?" And he was like, well, what's the movie about? I go, well, you know when someone passes away, how people rewrite their history and they're kind of not concerned about the people that actually knew the person. <laughs> He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so so he I was in the drums. movie. But Robin's like, yeah, he shows up. And then I found out that he wasn't in Seattle at the time. He had actually flown in to, to do the part. But <laughs> I said to Robin, I go, I go, hey, man, we don't have a permit. Because it was like a scene that I came up with really quick and didn't have time to file it because you need like uh, a week. And he's like, it was so Ed Wood. He's like, he's like well, what do we do if people come? Like, go run, you know? So so there's a scene in the movie shot with Robin on, without permits. It's a pretty cool scene. Wow. Oh, yeah. You just have
0: some balls. You just want to make your movie, man.
1: Yeah. You but, still do that or you get permits? Uh, no. Sometimes <laughs> it's still. That is a little funny. Like, uh, do you know Bryce uh, Johnson? Mm-mm. Oh, he's in a lot of the stuff I make. He, we shot Willow Creek, the Bigfoot movie, and we shot it up where the Patterson-Gimlin footage was shot. Actually, out of my reverence for uh, the Patterson Gimlin footage, I did not shoot on the actual location. I didn't want us trampling over it. Seriously, right. so, so we shoot the movie, and we saw mountain lions. We saw two mountain lions. So we're it's it's eleven mile dirt road that takes about two hours to drive because it's just on the side of a mountain. And we get there, and we're shooting the scene. Like I said, we saw a mountain lion, and. Uh, and in this scene it's in this tent and it's very intense and we do the first take it's an 18 minute long scene it's in the movie that long it's no cuts and it's just in the tent in a stationary camera and, and, um, and so he says <laughs> so we do the first take and he's just sobbing and he's like I go this is really good I don't think your character would cry though <laughs> And he goes, my character's not crying. I don't know why we're outside in a tent in the middle of the woods with no phone service. We could shoot this in the parking lot. And I was like, I was like, okay, that's good. Use that intensity. Just don't cry. Let's go again. It was just so he did another eighteen-minute scene. Yeah, he but he's cry. like going. He's like, that's the one that's in the movie. But he was like, he was that like you're saying, just getting it done. That movie was a little. I was a little bit. It's my Fitzcarraldo a little bit. Like I'm like lost in the woods. And I'm saying, they go, we just saw a mountain line. I go, where? They go, over there. I go, let's film over there. And everyone's like going, let's get in the car. Let's go. (laughs) So So it's
0: when you're working for Bobcat, it's a little bit of an adventure.
1: Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, Uh, that was the worst case in that movie. Right, right, right. But then again, you know, I did ask Barry to go to those places. And and I had Alexi Gilmore and, and Bryce and Willow Creek. I asked them to to do very dangerous things um and in hindsight i probably now if i was on a regular like a tv show or or, or something that wasn't mine those are the times where i really do i go let's slow way down you know even if we're behind you know because yeah, that's yeah, when yeah. people get hurt when you're like trying yeah.
0: to get effects and also on when you feel stuff. like you're rushed sometimes actors are like oh my i feel rushed yeah. here. i'm not you got to take that moment you got to get yeah, man I when
1: i see an actor doing that I, i'll i'll take out a i'll do stuff like um I'll play music, but so like I'll take a ball out. I was like, "Hey, give me a ball," and I just start tossing it around with the crew, and we just calm everything down because we're behind. But I see this actor imploding, and I just slow. You take that five minutes where it looks like we got all the time in the world, yeah. And, and then you see that per- smart. And then you see that person do it. They, that's
0: it, happened, but where people are like, you can see the the the, the uh, guy up there. The U. What do they call him? The UPM. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. and you're fighting that all uh, day. We got long. ten minutes, but we got to go right now. And the actor's like, "Oh my god, what do I got to rush through this?" It's, it's the, the worst, worst thing, thing to have in your head. Where uh, what's next for you?
1: Well, there's the the call me lucky narrative movie call me lucky you can find on uh on like itunes you know i i have a series that i did last year for true tv i think that's on itunes too called misfits and monsters each week a different kind of thing and um currently working on two movies
0: and those are top secret
1: no i mean you know normally i tell my premises for movies because i figure hey if you can get it going god bless <laughs> right. but this one i kind of am a little closed mouth like because it's like you know i mean like a I wanted to do a, a zombie fetus movie called Anchor But Ankle Biters. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you know, and it's like, hey, man, if you can get it going, knock yourself oh God, out. Wait a minute, yeah. If you like that idea, yeah, please yeah. let's get some
0: more money over like, here. Or, we it's can like, make
1: it. or it's like, I'll make more. You know, if someone does an idea, you know, it's not so, it, it's always going to be yours. I'll tell a story, we get going on this, but. um, I was at a meeting with a, a gentleman who I like, and he produces movies. And I, yeah, he's discussing the movies he has in development, and I'm discussing my ideas. And about two hour meeting, and at the end of the meeting, he's like, "Well, there's this other thing. It might be too out there." And he goes, "Do you know who Lepetamine is?" And uh, so, do you know who Lepetamine is? Joseph. Pujol, his name is uh, means the fartest, and he was the highest paid entertainer in the Moulin Rouge in the turn of the last century because he could fart music and he did impressions out of his ass. Sounds
0: and, like a great artist,
1: yeah. He was huge. So, so, so he goes, Do you know who Lepenemane is? And, and then I go, Yeah, I know who Lepenemane is. That's I have, is that him on your arm? Yeah, it's like a full sleeve. You have him. a tattoo <laughs> of that guy on
0: your arm, yeah. the fartist.
1: Yeah, yeah, it says never forget, and um. It was the best. That's an amazing tattoo. Yeah, it's really good. Holy shit. Um, isn't it insane, though? Because he's like, <laughs> have you ever heard of him? I go, yeah, I've heard of him. So <laughs>
0: I've heard of him. He's on my arm.
1: Yeah, so ideally, I would love to, uh, you know, maybe maybe Lepetamine will be a dream, you know?
0: That sounds like a lot of Because Lepideming. the
1: movie, again, you're going to think it's this, but it's going to be about what is art, and this guy is tortured. You know, it should be like... Tortured soul, and this is what be... he does,
0: and he thinks that this is...
1: Well, he knows that people are are laughing uh but he knows he also has so much more to say. So I am Le Petermain. With his ass. Well no but no <laughs> he's just stuck. He's tortured by this. So so it to me uh-huh. I think it's again it's myself, you know. So so you know, but it'd be like Daniel Day Lewis is Le Peton. I am La God damn it! <laughs> tables. And...
0: I love it. Well, this has been a real freaking treat, man. Oh, good. I don't know. I mean, uh. we didn't know each other other than we met at James Gunn's house yeah, a couple a times. times, and I was like, I always like this guy. He's so oh. interesting. He's done so much. I've had friends that worked with him. And uh, this was better than I thought it would oh, geez, be. Oh, geez, thanks. Because thanks. You're, you're very open. You, you know, I could tell some things were a little dark for you, but you, like, you opened up as much as you, know, you, you, you could. And
1: yeah, I try to be honest. It's too, I'm over <laughs> protecting myself.
0: I am too. I, for right. so many years, I was just like, you know, I think that's the biggest compliment. When people say, you're just so, I know everything about you, I think. I know you. You're so vulnerable. I'm like, Good because that's the only way this works if, if, if you know i'm i'm being real bobcat thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today